access to education, wealth, the ability to influence, and a knowledge of rules concerning God, decided in his infinite wisdom to invite Jesus to a dinner party. Now, this just wasn't any ordinary dinner party that we see in Luke chapter 7, if you're following along, starting around verse 37. At that time, the festivities would involve different kinds of revelries, jugglers, food, and it was so magnificent that at the doorway, the poor would be drawn to look in, to look into a world that they weren't weren't not necessarily, weren't invited into. And as our story opens up, there's a woman with an alabaster box, which is white stone, a Google, and she's standing there watching this happen. The choices that she's made, relationship-wise, the things that have happened to her have made her dirty in the eyes of the people in that room. That room, the people have this concept of purity and what it is, and she does not fit that definition. But she knows there is one in there named Jesus that if she falls at his feet, all will be forgiven. That is the place that she longs for, so she dares to cross the threshold of what's socially acceptable into the taboo, and she enters into the presence of Jesus. Are we daring to cross the room and enter into the presence of Jesus this morning? She gets to the presence of Jesus and she falls to her knees and she pours the perfume that's in her box and she weeps and she wipes his feet with her hair and she's having this moment with the Lord and the one who has access to education, wealth, the ability to influence and the knowledge of the rules concerning God sees that and he's like, whoa, and this guy's named Simon and he's You should be ashamed of that, Jesus. This display of emotion, it's not acceptable. Why are you allowing her to do this to you? And Jesus' response is simply this, to the one who has access to education, wealth, has a way of influencing, simply this, I have a story for you. And he listens. There's a money lender who has two people that he's lent to. One's $500 and one is $10,000. And there's no way, no way that the two people who have that debt out will ever be able to pay it. So in the ultimate act of grace, he says, your slate has been wiped clean. And so Jesus looks at the one who has access to education, wealth, the ability to influence and knowledge of things concerning God. And he's like, which one has been forgiven more? And Simon, the one who has wealth, access to education, the ability to influence, knowledge of the things concerning God, says, well, obviously, the one forgiven $10,000, and Jesus is simply like, yeah, you're correct. But that person knows how much they have been saved from. The woman at the feet of Jesus isn't somehow in this hierarchical function. No, she just has this deep knowledge that God has saved her from much, something that Simon completely misses. He has the rules and the expectations, and he has lived in that his entire life, and he has tried so hard to hold on to that to the point of inviting God into his home and judging him for interacting with someone. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. 
that God who Mary, as church tradition tells us, fell at the feet at is available for us this morning. Do you know that Jesus? Because that Jesus is awesome. That Jesus transforms lives. That Jesus is authentic. That Jesus is real. That Jesus takes our junk and our brokenness and transforms it. I'm going to be using the word brokenness a lot this morning, and I want to define that. Brokenness is that point where we get where we're just going to shatter. On our own strength, it's not going to happen. It's the reality of this world. It's overwhelming family, jobs, school, work, culture, health problems. Whatever it is, we get to that point where we're going to shatter. And there's no way that this is going to happen except for the grace of God. And Mary was at that point, And she wasn't ashamed to be at that point. So we're going to be talking about today basic principle in kingdom culture, brokenness is embrace, and it starts with forgiveness. Also, there is no shame in kingdom culture. There is no shame. You get to come how you are, no matter how messy you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, which culture, what your background is, what your race is, how much money you have. You could have all the money in the world, and you would still be bankrupt apart from a relationship with God. Do you know that this morning, church? Yeah, because it is available to you. It's available to you. Because if there's one thing, my husband, Craig, and I, he totally married up. I'm taller than him. Someone's like, he married up. But in reality, I, I totally married up. I got the guy. One thing that God, <laughs> woo! Are you guys going to play with me this morning? Come on, you can interact. I'm not scared. Come on, you guys. Let's do this. Let's go to church. So he totally married up. I'm going to say that again just because it's fun. But one of the things God has been teaching us as we've been hanging out in Chico is that he's out for all of it. As Major Debbie mentioned, I came to the Salvation Army to work on the Croc staff in the development stages of the Croc Center, this church. I remember hearing the vision from the Lums and from the Begonias and those pioneers. I remember driving around with Bram, and he's like, the worship's going to be like this, and people are going to come to know the Lord like this. Sorry, I saw Bram this morning, so my illustration's all thrown off, and I'm going to talk about him. I remember waking up in the middle of the night to get water because my best friend and I moved here to work at the Croc Center in the development stages and to get water and I would see Bram on his computer and he would be working on a grant, he would be working out the vision that God had placed on their hearts as this sacred trust. Years later, fast forward, my husband and I were in Chico and we're asked to do a similar thing, to start a major fundraising campaign, build a church, build something, and we have distinguished leaders on our board looking at us going, do you know what you're doing? And the answer is like, no. We're all voted confidence, right? The leader has no idea where they're going. Now, you know, it's a normal day in our world. And I just think back to Bram in that kitchen late at night. I think back to the lums and the vision that was cast and how encouraging it is to see you all here and to see that vision come to fruition. And so when that was asked of us, we wanted a way out, right? So how many times do we get like a big thing, like a big thing drops in your lap, right? And you're like, God, I want a way out. This is too much. I don't have what it takes. And so when I get to that point, I go on walks. And so Craig will know, like, I'll bounce and I'll disappear for a while. And I'm like, God, hey, you know, there's people that are more capable He's like, I know. No, just kidding. <laughs> but, right? Uh, I just, I don't know, God. And he clearly said, pray for all of it. Pray for all of it. And in my naiveness, as most of my stories start, Arwen was naive and thought this. I thought it was about the money. 
right? Because we go to things we can quantify, the physical things. Like, it's easy to see God as provider and think about the provision and all these kinds of things. And so about six months ago, Craig comes to me, and he's like, when? You know when God told you that? It wasn't about the money. And I'm like, bummer, wouldn't it be great if that? No, just kidding. It was all in. He's like, no, it was about the witness of the Holy Spirit in us. doesn't matter the race, socioeconomic background. It's the access that God is giving us through this project to spread his word. On a good day, we may come across a Christian. Most of them are on our staff. And we get to be a witness of what God is doing in rooms where Christians aren't welcome. And it's incredible. And we see that that is such a kingdom thing. Do we have the skill set for this? No! Are we having fun? Yeah! We're a hot mess having a good time. And we see that in our story, that no matter where you come from, God is out for all of it. He is out for the woman who understands her personal brokenness at the foot of Jesus as much as he's out for Simon the Pharisee who thinks he has it all together. These three characters interact and you get a bigger picture of who God is. A God who embraces our story, who embraces our brokenness, who is actively involved in our lives and who's out for us. Do you know that God is out for you? that he's out for you, that he loves your story and where you come from. And he looks at me and he's like, that's my kid. That is the God we worship. And as we dig in, if you want to follow along in Luke, we're starting at chap- around chapter 7. I'm going to be digging also into chapter 6. The Gospel of Luke was written by how apropos. Luke, and Luke was a physician. He wasn't an eyewitness to the things going on, but he's very methodical. When you read the Gospel of Luke, there's a heavy emphasis on social justice. Whoop, whoop, that's my guy. Women, yeah, women. If you want to read about women in the Bible, Luke's your boy. He's fantastic. Love him, and He's such a teacher at heart. So when you look at scripture, you have chapter 6, which is really like a lot of the hallmark sayings. So you have the Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, epits from that. You have love your enemies, talks about judging others. It's the hallmark, like quotable quotables of Jesus in chapter 6. Lots of teaching. Boom, 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 boom. This is how the kingdom works. This is how the kingdom works. This is how the kingdom works. And then in chapter 7, you see four consecutive stories that are like, I said this, so Jesus said this, and then he did this. It's how he applied the concept. So not only is he telling us to do it, he is actively involved in living it out. And we see that if we look at chapter 6, if you want to pull it up, starting at verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor. Oh, that in and of itself is countercultural, right? For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you. Reject your name is evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in the day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how your fathers, the prophets, were treated. Blessed are you who are poor. And scripture poor talks about there's a theology of poverty, right? Where Jesus is actively encountering the poor. And we see that in the case of Mary. She's poor. She's a woman that doesn't have the support that she needs. She's been taken advantage of. But there's also a concept in scripture when you see the word poor, you see poor in spirit or mourning where the spirit is at a point where it's grief stricken or 
open or teachable or sad. And it's in those moments that God can move. In a culture that says strength looks a certain way, Jesus really turns it on his head. Blessed are you who are poor. Yes, we work with the poor all the time. Love the poor. That's the sweet spot. That's the safe spot for us. We'd much rather be with the poor than other places but also the poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are brokenhearted. Blessed are you who don't have it all together. Blessed are you who are a hot mess. And that's what Jesus is speaking to here. And we have this scripture being applied in the form of Mary who's encountering God. In a world that says that's not what you do. In this story, she just boldly goes across the line and it's so inspiring. My husband and I have uh, a couple officers that have really blessed us throughout the years. The Groinlingers, many of you know Joy and Larry. And they were Craig's youth pastors. They really invested him. I think Larry, Uncle Larry, was one of the first people Craig saw to come to know the Lord. You know, those full circle moments. And just totally, totally invested in them. And a lot of our ministry, it's like, what would, what, would, <laughs> what would Joy and Larry do in this situation? And it's just so incredible. Craig got to share with them this recovery ministry we have in Chico. Craig and I ourselves are in recovery from sin, not necessarily substances, but Chico is the town where we're from, Northern California. It is in the middle of a heroin pandemic. You know, like the a lot of times the street drug here is ICE. We have the same in the mainland. And we work with a recovery center, an adult rehabilitation program, which is similar to the adult rehabilitation center in Honolulu, where every day we're encountering this brokenness and we're seeing lives transformed. One of our staff members who we took on is actually a graduate of the Honolulu ARC. Any graduates in here? Any alumni? Oh, maybe, maybe. Maybe, but he, he's an incredible local boy from Kalihi, and we brought him on specifically to drug, d- drug people, whoa. Anybody else catch that? Whoops, okay. To bridge people who graduate from the rehabilitation center to our church. And so we're talking with Chris, like Chris is like, this is an enormous task. How am I gonna do this? How am I gonna do this? And so we're like, it's kind of like eating an elephant, just one bite at a time, right? And so we're like, Chris, don't focus on 100 people. Focus on two. Who are you just going to actively pray for and actively be involved in their lives? And so the Holy Spirit leads Chris to these two guys, and he tells us, and so the three of us, along with Chris's wife, we begin praying. One of them, Sam. We call him Sam Wise. <laughs> Sam, he is a heroin addict who self-proclaimed atheist. Craig first met him in a Bible study. He just didn't want anything to do with God. We first met him with an ankle monitor because he was on mandatory release to the recovery program, and he had to check in his, with his probation officer. Tattoos everywhere. He had spent so much time in prison that he wasn't racist, but in prison there is a racial hierarchy and you kind of hang out. And so now he's encountering this brown guy who loves Jesus and he's like, I don't know what to do. I'm really drawn to this guy, but in prison it would have been dangerous. He has this crazy infected, he had a, he was alone shooting up in a hotel for days to the point where his arm was so infected that he didn't take care of it that he has this crazy scar on his arm. If you didn't know Sam, you wouldn't want to really stand by Sam at this point in his life. And Chris is like, I'm out for that one. We're like, okay, Chris, we're going after Sam. Okay, we're going to be praying this through. And the other one he mentioned was Pedro, who's a former registered gang member in Modesto, assault with, felony assault with a deadly weapon, thug of thugs, grew up in a gang family, mandatory release from juvenile hall, to our rehab program, and Chris is like, I want him. That's who I want. That's who Jesus wants us to go after. So for months, 
We prayed for Sam and Pedro. And over that time, we saw them develop a friendship, and we kind of stood back at a distance, and we didn't want to interfere, but we just kept on going like, man, it's going to happen. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? So Chris, uh, like here, in Del- uh, where were you from? In Chico, we have a men's camp. So Craig's like, let's, let's see if Sam and Pedro want to sign up for a men's camp. They say yes. Big victory. There was great rejoicing, and the ministry staff were like, okay, we got the two. They're at camp. Leading up to camp, we get the call that Uncle Larry had passed away. And so Craig's going into, my husband Craig is going into a ministry position where he lost his Craig, the person that he knows. Many of us have people we've journeyed with since we were young that spoke that life and that truth into us. And so Craig's heart's grieved. And how many of us are in situations where we're grieved and we're just, we don't want to show up today, right? I don't even know how I'm going to handle it. I don't want to show up today, but I'm going to show up. Because that's what Uncle Larry would do. Uncle Larry, in many ways, reminds me of the woman that would weep at the feet of Jesus. If you ever saw him preach, it would always end with him crying about the goodness of God. People laugh because they know. For those of you who know Uncle Larry, it always ended with how sweet God is and how he just didn't deserve God. God in his life, because but he had him anyway, and it was this beautiful thing, and Uncle Larry's tears always minister to our souls, and so Craig and Faith goes to camp. He spends three days out there. I'm like, okay, God, the guys are there. We're going to see what happens, and Craig comes home from camp, and I jump in the van with him. He's in the garage, and he's been there for a while, and he hasn't come out, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? What, you don't want to see me? <laughs> like, what's going on? So I go into the garage. I jump in the van, and I'm like, babe, what's going on? Let's go inside. I have dinner ready for you and everything. And he's like, Wayne, you're not going to believe what happened. At camp, someone who, else, who also knew Uncle Larry was the guest speaker. And he was jarred. So in the middle of his sermon, he's like, you know what? I'm just really struggling right now. I just want to bring to the point that a good man passed away suddenly. We don't know why he died. We don't understand it in the grand scheme of God, but I know one thing. That man knew and loved Jesus. So right now in my spirit, I'm compelled to ask if any of you want to know the Lord, want to know how good God is, I challenge you right now to jump up and come forward, and I want to pray with you. So Craig's telling me this, and Craig, with tears in his eyes, straight up Uncle Larry style, looks at me, and he's like, you know who stood up? Sam and Pedro, babe. What happens when we fall to the feet of Jesus? Our stories matter beyond what we can expect. We did not expect to lose someone we loved so much, but to have an impact of your story beyond life, to where a kid who grew up in your youth group holding your kids as babies, two guys he's been praying for for months, compelled by the Spirit, jump up and accept the Lord. That's how good Jesus is. That is the Jesus Uncle Larry knows. That is the Jesus Mary knows. Kingdom culture embraces brokenness. And it starts with forgiveness, a knowledge of how much we've been saved from. Mary knew she couldn't save herself. She was fully aware of how broken she is. And there's strength in that. And there's this thing in our culture where it's like, no, I can't show. I have to be tough. No, that's just not how it works. Because the counterpoint to Mary is we see Simon. 
We see Simon this Pharisee, and in scripture a lot of times we hear the word Pharisee, and we think like, oh, boo hiss, they killed Jesus, yada, yada. But these are people that are bound by the law. They have lived their lives with a set of expectations going down from generations. They are trying so hard not to be broken. That if I do this right, I may just be good enough. That is bondage. If you are living thinking you can do the next right thing and somehow that will save you, and you're living in that fear that if you mess up, you're not good enough, that is a lie. The Holy Spirit is saying to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Simon's an interesting character because if we pull up the scripture, oh, sorry, skipping over pictures, we see in chapter 6, how Jesus talks about not judging others, right? Going back to Jesus said it, and then he lived it out, right? Starting at verse 37, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Simon asked Jesus to his party to shame him, to shame him, and Jesus knew When I've been studying this scripture again, I think the relationship between Jesus and Simon I find to be the most compelling because Jesus knew Simon's junk and he knew what Simon was capable of and you know Simon's like setting him up and Simon sees this interaction with Mary and he's like, you should be ashamed and Jesus is like, no, (laughs) I am not gonna be ashamed of my people being authentic. In fact, Jesus replies as we see in chapter seven, like Simon Your rules say that when I come into your house that you wash my feet, that you kiss me, that you have oil for my head. You didn't didn't do your rules. But you know what she did? She brought expensive perfume. She washed my feet with her tears and she kissed them. She embraced her own brokenness. These rules, these things that you live by, Simon, it doesn't have to be that way. It's bondage. You get to be who you are. It's not about restricting ourselves and some archaic form of purity that we somehow have to earn it. It is about the grace of God because he loved us first. Simon, I loved you before you could do anything about it. It's about relationship, not restriction. It's not about what I can do. And our stories matter and he's just engaging with Simon and at no point is he yelling at him. He's not answering shame with shame. He's answering shame with love. He's countering an action with an action of love. He's like, I love you. But how often do we find ourselves in the place of Simon? That somehow these expectations, these rules, if I follow them, if I do it a certain way, it's going to be okay. So my husband and I, for years, we've been trying to have kids and uh, Chico's our first, our first church, and we show up, and a few months into it, we have, at 15 weeks, we have a miscarriage late on a Saturday night, a Sunday before I'm supposed to be preaching. I'm sick, and during that time, I really struggled with fear. I struggled with fear of losing the baby, but I also struggled with feeling like I wasn't meeting my own personal expectations of what a leader looked like. I wasn't there enough for my core. I wasn't there enough for my church family. I wasn't doing what a leader needs to do. And I struggled with shame and guilt. I'm a pastor, and it's like somehow you reach a point in life and you get called pastor and you don't struggle with these things anymore. Oh, whatever. And so I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And it happens. 
And there's no one in town that the next morning can cover for us in the church service. So it's 4 a.m., Craig brings me home from the hospital. He's emotionally devastated, and he's like, I'm going to church. And so he goes to church, doesn't have anything prepared, but he stands up in front of the congregation and starts leading a prayer meeting. And he's like, the worst happens. The worst happens. But blessed be the name of the Lord. God doesn't stop being God. God is not punishing me. The system is broken. Sin is in the world. The enemy is in the world. The system doesn't work. The system's broken. We're broken. But God is here. Yeah. And I say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. Hmm. After that, there was this huge culture shift in our marriage and our leadership style and in the life of our church. One of the words that we use a lot when we're asked to talk about Chico is messy. It's really messy. We always want it to look professional, but it always looks a little wonky, but it's loving. And we have a food box, so in the mainland we do food boxes out of our family service office, and there was people in our church that were just really heartbroken for us, so they would take items out of the food box, poor folks, and they would make meals for us. One in particular that I'll never forget, a man named Kurt in our church made it. He made a pasta dish, and he wanted Lieutenant Craig to know that there was shrimp in it because he knew Craig was from Hawaii, and that he liked shrimp. And in our area of the mainland, shrimp's a luxury. It costs money. So he pooled money from his friends in order to make sure Craig knew that he was loved. Right? I love the example of Jesus with Mary because Jesus allowed Mary to wash his feet. So for those of us who are leaders, the principle is, are we going to allow our people to be Jesus to us? Because there's no amount of us being Jesus that's going to save anybody. So if you're on the leadership team, there's a principle there too. Like, how are you going to allow people to serve you back? And our leadership wasn't in question. It wasn't seen as a sign of weakness. What it did was develop deeper relationships and let them know that we're messy, but we love Jesus. And they're like, I'm messy too, and I want to know Jesus, so perfect fit. The worship team's going to come up, and we're just going to start reflecting. In Psalm 51, David writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And renew a right spirit within me. Jesus is available for you this morning. You could be in all sorts of places in your walk. Some days we're merry and we're like, I'm there and I get it. And all I want to do is weep at your feet and embrace who you are. And then some days we do not feel like it. We're like, I wish my rules could save me because I don't want to deal with the emotional stuff. I don't want to deal with my junk. I don't want to feel inadequate. I don't want to feel broken today. Many of us, we get to the point, I get there where I'm like, I will not break. This will not break me. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to break. I'm not going to feel sad. I don't want to deal with this. We all come from different po- points of life. It could be family, health, things that impact our walk with the Lord. But this morning, God is saying to you, I want a relationship with you. I am out for you. I love your story. I love your brokenness. I want to use your story to impact lives. I want to affirm who you are. I want to validate you. I created you. I know this isn't easy for you. Don't push me away. King 
kingdom culture embraces brokenness. If you are not in a small group yet, get in a HANA group. If God is calling you to be a mentor, talk to your officers. If you are a young adult looking for mentorship, if you are looking to be discipled, if you are looking to get deeper in the word, the resources are available for you here. Kingdom culture embraces brokenness and it starts with forgiveness. Is your heart right with the Lord today? Hey, do you know that it's okay if it's not? It's not a sign of weakness if your heart's not in the right place all the time. Just go back to the beginning again. Fall at his feet. Know you're loved. It's okay. It's okay not to be okay. Some of you might be here today thinking you have to live by expectations that are so overwhelming and it's falling on you and you just can't carry it. Guess what? You were never meant to carry it. God is saying to you, press into me and not press into the circumstance. The circumstance will fail you every time. God will not. How are we handling the everyday stuff of life? It sounds simple, yeah, like, oh yeah, I've heard this a lot. But when put into practice, when we're authentic in community, when we're transparent with each other, when we show up in church and not just say the good stuff, it's not just, you know, the happy reel on Facebook or on social media, but we're authentic with our brokenness. We don't always have to be at the point of Mary where we want to cry, but it's that daily check-in with the Lord. Where am I at? Where is my soul at? Because when we're authentically seeking the Lord together, that's revival. That's the fire of the Holy Spirit that will tear across our communities and our families and bring that change we are so desperate for. In the kingdom of God, there is no shame. Some of you might be here this morning trapped in shame. I'm not good enough. God says no. There's no shame. That God is available for you this morning. We want to pray with you. My husband and I would love to lay hands on you in a safe way. (laughs) There's other people here that want to pray with you. But spend time with that Jesus this morning as we sing. So as people continue to pray, where you're sitting, if the Lord lays it on your heart, I encourage you to talk to the person next to you. Just ask him, how's your soul? How can I pray for you? How can I intercede for you? How can I be Jesus to you this morning? So often it's easy to get caught up in our own stuff. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I find myself praying over my junk. My challenge for you this morning is reach out and say, hey, how can I intercede? And as we continue to sing, if the Lord leads, I know it's not super comfortable, right? But church isn't meant to be comfortable. It's meant to stir up our souls and cause us to change. Because if we can't change here, how is the world out there going to know how good Jesus is? The Jesus that made Uncle Larry weep. 2,000 years ago, Mary would fall to her feet, that Simon would be engaged by a God he wanted to shame, who wouldn't shame him back, that Kurt would make sure there was shrimp in the pasta for Craig. That's the God. And that God, if you know him, is in your heart, and you are a minister of the gospel, and you get to intercede on his behalf, and he is calling you to ask others, how's your soul? 
how can I lift you up, brother? Sister, how can I be in your life in a meaningful way? Not just coffee talk, but like, how can I be in your life and be Jesus? As we continue to sing, I encourage you to get uncomfortable. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. You are the vision caster. You are the shame rebuker. You are the taboo breaker. You are the lover of our souls who want to use our story for your kingdom. Father, I pray. I pray that the culture of our homes, the culture of our relationships, are that brokenness in you is acceptable and that forgiveness is just how we roll. I pray that in this church that you rise up shame breakers that go out into their work, into their schools, into the place in the community that you have them, where they boldly speak truth in a world that needs to know who you are. The world does not know. But for those of us who do, Lord, make us bold. Lord, for those who are just at that place where all I want to be is at your feet, Holy Spirit, may your presence meet them there. Your presence does not disappoint. I pray against the desire to push it away because it's uncomfortable. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Rest on our hearts. May we leave this place ready to go deeper. Lord, I pray over this congregation that you would rise up just a strong desire for the word of God, that you would increase quiet time, that you would increase knowledge of scripture, that when it was hard to read the Bible before, that you would just cast that down and cast down the things that make it hard, but make reading the word just easier. Make it the delight. It's not a chore, but the desire of their hearts. Lord, I praise you for what you've done all these years, for the vision that you cast and for what you're going to do into the future, Lord. We surrender our hearts this morning and say, have your way in all that we do. In Jesus' name.